content, curriculum, Bible reading podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Paige Minifee, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm CJ. I work at CSF and the Lewis House. Yay! He wrote week five for us, but before we get into that, CJ, would you recap for us what we talked about last week? Sure. So Galatians um, is a book where Paul's addressing a specific problem, the problem of the Judaizers. I don't know. Have y'all talked too much about that before? Yeah, Warren hit it in the first week. All right. Yeah, cool. And this is a big theme through a lot of the New Testament, just because the earliest Christians were all Jewish. And so trying to figure out the relationship between um, how the Jews practiced their faith and then the new revelation that came in Jesus was... Uh, a bit tricky for um, especially the Jews to try and figure out because of the relationship between the law and and grace. And so in kind of typical Paul fashion, what he's been doing up until now, so I think our, our passage is in Galatians 3. So what he's been doing until now is trying to address a lived problem that he sees in the church mm. and the lived experience of the Christian community by discussing the the root of the problem in how people understand the gospel or a failure to understand and live out the the fullness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So he spent the first few chapters kind of introducing the problem, but also laying out pretty clearly um, what the, the truth of the Christian message is. And then in Galatians 3, he's going to continue that before the end of Galatians. There, it kind of takes a turn toward um, how, how this affects how we practically live, especially in a place like Galatians 5, Mm. where he's just going to give some clear teaching, hey, based on all this, this is how we should be living together. So in our section here today, we're talking about, um, we're still setting up that that presentation of the gospel that's going to affect how we live. Mm. Amazing. Yep. (laughs) So what would you say is something that's would stick out, is stuck out to you personally in this part of scripture? Sure. Well, this this section kind of there's kind of two main sections of this week's reading. The in the first section, Paul talks about the relationship between the the promise of Abraham and the delivery of the law a little over four hundred later, four hundred years later to, to Moses. Um, and he's talking about the relationship of these t- two things. And um, this is also like a typical Paul thing where. Uh, whenever a dispute comes up, what he actually does is he goes back to the Old Testament and says, hey, even the Old Testament is testifying to the fact that the gospel is correct. He's wanting to show that actually the Christian message is the true Jewish message, mm-hmm. not some addition that Christians tacked on later or some change that Christians made, which was what the Judaizers were saying was happening, that the Christians were changing the Jewish faith. Mm. Now, Paul was a former Pharisee, so he he was like the head honcho of the Jews and was a super committed, um, faithful Jewish man. And so his conversion, there's a temptation to think his conversion, which I think you'll talk about actually a little bit later, mm. um, or, or was that earlier? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I think um, someone's going to talk about it. It was earlier, yeah, it was in chapter uh, chapters one and two. Uh, Paul talks about his conversion. It's important to know his conversion, like it's not a moment where he went from being a Jew to not being a Jew. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is he was super committed to his Jewish faith and then on the road to Damascus, he's encountering Christ and then recognizes that everything that he believed and everything that he'd been trained to love about the God of Israel was actually consummated in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like he's leaving his former Jewish faith, but he has learned how to see the Christian message as the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Um, and so what he's doing here in this first section um, for this week is talking about how the promises that were given to Abraham, um, those came first, and then after that came the law. And to think that the law somehow negates the promise mm. 
uh, is to miss the real priority um, of how that interact the interactions with God had with His people went. The promise mm-hmm. came first, and so we have to hold on to the promise as the thing which is ultimate, and then see how the law helps us understand the promise. And that's kind of his big point in the early section. Yeah. It's crazy that they like try to pinch those two things against each other. When Jesus says over and over again, like I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. But the Jews even post Jesus were like, no, you can't believe in Jesus. He tried to change everything that we ever stood for. He's like a facade. Like you can't trust him, whatever. But how they didn't see that this was who they were waiting for. Like literally everything that they did their entire lives, their entire history was pointing to this person. And I guess it's, I mean, I know there's a scripture that talks about their eyes being hidden uh, or like covered to not be able to see him. And that's a whole other topic, but like, I'm just like, how did you guys miss it? It seems to me that Paul's saying that the actual problem is that they failed to understand what the law was. Wow. That the Jewish community and Jesus's time came to see the law not as its proper function. And he talked in the second half of this week is his talking about what the proper function of the law is. Mm. But when you don't understand what the law is, when you get it wrong, then that's going to lead to a real opposition between the promise and the law. Mm. So Paul's whole point here is that if you think that the law, and this is a consistent theme through Paul's writings, if you think that the law is the, the way by which you're saved, that somehow performing your life in a certain way, meeting some standard, following a set of rules is what makes you righteous, then you are not going to get the Christian message. Mm. It is not the same message. The Christian message is not a message about performance. Right. Which is, this is the part that stuck out to me the most. This is what I love the most about this section. If you think that you're saved based on your performance, then the law of grace, or the gospel of grace will make no sense to you. It will be a stumbling block to you Mm. completely. And it was for the Jews. But Paul says that's not what the function of the law is. The function of the law is not to show you how you're saved. It's mm. to show you that you need to be saved. Yes. Right? Wow. It, it's like a diagnostic manual. It's mm-hmm. like they've been given a book that says, this is what a sick person looks like. He does this, 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 mm-hmm. this, this. Or this is what a healthy person looks like. He doesn't do this, 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 this. And the function of that book is to help you understand, am I sick? Mm. That book can't heal you. Mm-hmm. Right? There, there's no diagnostic manual that heals you just because it tells you what your symptoms are. You need a doctor. Yeah. And Paul's entire point is, if you learn to see the law as a diagnostic manual, something that tells you that you're sick, then that will tell you that you need a healer. And guess what? There's a guy, mm-hmm. God, who <laughs> promised to heal you and to heal the whole world. He gave yeah. that promise to Abraham. And so for Paul, he's trying to get people to realize we have this great physician who came to Abraham and said, the first thing I want to do is to heal the world. Mm. That is a promise. And, and Paul says, look, I mean, God, this is a kind of a cool thing. God doesn't change, right? He, he doesn't get more perfect. That would be weird. Um, so his promises don't change either. And so the, the first thing God does is make a promise that he is going to heal the world, the whole world. He's going to bless the whole world through Abraham. And then everything after that is him trying to work out that promise. And that's what Paul's trying to get these people to see. The law is not a different thing from the promise. The law is pointing to the promise. Mm. But when you ignore the promise and think that the law, that learning how to perform or live is what's important, and that's the way that you're going to be healed, 
then you're just off the boat. Yeah, and I think the medical metaphor is actually a pretty good one. Yeah. You're never going to get healed until you go to a doctor. Mm. Reading WebMD <laughs> is just not going to heal you. And it'll just send you through an anxiety that, spiral. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You need you need a doctor. And, and so what, that's what Paul's that, trying to get them to that see. That will preach to today, to campus even. like For sure. The fact that people, like how, like the, op, like you said earlier, something about it creates opposition and like, for the people who are holding on to the promise versus the people that just view what we call the fulfillment of the promise, the law, like what, who does that more than the people on campus being like, you Bible thumpers, you just want to like put your rules down my throat. You want to suppress me. You want me to live in bondage. And it's like, well, actually (laughs) we know true freedom. And we'll talk about this later. This is Galatians five. Yeah. But like, Oh my gosh, like everything you just said, like that, that'll yeah. preach to campus. But I mean, it, this, this idea is so, I think, deeply ingrained in human nature too. Yeah. I mean, that w- what's the practical application of all of this? And I really think part of it is like unique among maybe every faith in human history, mm-hmm. Christianity is not a, f- a faith about performance. Mm. You will never perform well enough. It cannot be done, mm. right? Every other faith says, okay, if you're a good person and you get the kind of you know, scales balance or whatever, you know, the Egyptian weird stuff mm-hmm. with the feather or, or even even Islam, right? If you, on the whole, if you've had a good life and then Allah also decides that, you know, you're, you're good for it, then you can go to heaven. Um, Christianity's never been like that. It's always just acknowledged. You're never good enough. Performance is not the bedrock of, of reality. Yeah. But so much of, I mean, just think about like, how many of our relationships or how much of our own thinking about how we live day to day is just based on performance? I mean, how many times do we have relationships and friendships in college that are fun and we enjoy, but then when things get tough, we bounce? Yeah. Or think about like the state of marriage in our culture today, mm-hmm. right? You, you make, ironically, you make this promise that's unconditional, but then things get tough and you bounce, yeah. you're out, right? We're a culture, and maybe just human beings by nature, are these beings that are driven by performance. Everything is based on how well we perform. And when things aren't going well, we hit, we pull the eject lever. We're, in, we're a culture of throwaway relationships. You know, if, if things start going wrong, we abandon the relationship. Mm. Um, and it's super normal for people to live this way on campus. But I think what makes Christianity unique and Christian communities unique is that they're not like that that when you're hanging out in a core group with somebody and they're going through a tough time and when their relationship is actually uh, not something that gives you life, but something that demands from you and might even kind of suck the life out of Mm -hmm. you sometimes, we don't quit those relationships. Mm. And I think that's a unique thing with the Christian faith is that's like the bedrock of how we interact with each other because that's how God interacts with us. Mm. He made a promise to us. It's not based on our performance but based on his promise, it's because he loves us. Yeah. And that love doesn't have a because, which is great news. Because yeah. if it did, we'd be all up a creek, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think, what does this look like practically in the life of a college student? How do you start cultivating relationships that are based on promises and not performance? Mm-hmm. How do you make a community where people's failures are celebrated when they're acknowledged and that we can help lift people up? And then how do we become people who don't have throwaway relationships but when someone looks at our life or someone looks at our community, they see a group of people that love unconditionally without a because. It's not because of what I do for you or what you do for me, but it's because 
I love you. I love you because I love you. Because that's what God is, right? God is love. Why does he love us? Because he's love. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we can do to merit it. And that's, you know, I think that's the good news. So I think that there are ways that we can image the kingdom of God to a watching world. And I think Paul gives us a really great way to do it. Learn to be a people of the promise, not a people of performance. Amen. And we'll never, like all that is so great, like loving people unconditionally and not letting it be about performance, so crucial and what the Christian faith is all about. But we also will never get there if we don't first rightly view ourselves in that equation with God. Like if you are approaching the throne of grace, expecting a lashing or like a punishment from God because you've done something bad, you need to go read the gospel again. You need to go read why Jesus came on the cross and died for you and says, now we can be in relationship together. You'll never be able to love other people well if you're, if you don't first have that intimate relationship with God himself where you know you're broken, but he covers it all. Which is, which is tough. At least for me, it's tough. I mean, I, oh, I yeah, struggle a hard. lot with this. Like, I mean, so many times, despite what I know in my head, my like intuitive mm-hmm. relationship with God is, oh, I've done something dumb. Yeah. Right? And then I'm afraid or I feel like I've not lived up to. And so I'm not loved. Yeah. Um, and relation, and this is the same thing with human relationships. It is flipping hard to live a relationship based on a promise mm-hmm. and not performance. It is taxing and demanding, mm-hmm. and it's life-giving. But yeah. I think that's what's... Like, like worth be- it. Yeah, that's the beautiful part of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just had a newborn son. Mm-hmm. It is nothing but demanding and taxing. But it's a beautiful that's thing. so cute. Right? There's nothing that that little kid does that, like, um, merits me loving him. He doesn't do anything but poop yeah. and cry, right? But <laughs> I love him because he's my son. Yeah. And I think there's something that's difficult about that, but that's the most beautiful way to live. And I think that's because that's the way God designed us to live because that's how he loves us. Yeah. So good. Um, kind of shifting gears. What are maybe some things that could be brought up in group that might be difficult to answer or could derail the group? Well, I think the hardest thing is trying to figure out the relationship between the law and and the gospel here. Yeah. There is a temptation when you're reading the new Testament to say, or to see Paul as saying, Hey, just don't do the law. Right. It's all about grace. Um, but I think that can lead to some errors where, yes, we need to uh, acknowledge the promises of God and live into the love of God, but you could come away from that thinking, well, then it doesn't matter how I live. And that is also a huge error, mm-hmm. right? It does matter how you live, not because you're earning God's love, but because when you don't live according to the way that the doctor tells you, you get sick again. Yeah. Um, so in the history of the church, there's been this temptation sometimes, and I think, I don't know if they've talked about it already, or you will talk about it more. The, there's a group of people called the lawless ones who just say, well, just, you know, God loves you, so live however you want. Do whatever you want. There is no law. There's no rules. Do whatever you want. And this is actually specifically the group that Paul's going to address in Galatians Sounds appealing. 5. It does sound appealing. <laughs> To the flesh. <laughs> I get my cake and I can eat it too? Yeah, wow. exactly. Um, so I, I think if you overly oppose the law and grace, you're going to end up with a, a vision of human life or a vision of God's love that makes no demands upon how you live, hmm. uh, which is going to end up with you being sick again. Hmm. And God doesn't want you to be sick again. And maybe even sicker than before. Maybe even sicker than before. Yeah. The great physician wants to heal you because he loves you. 
But anytime you go to a doctor, the doctor tells you what to do. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't do that, you get more sick. Yeah. And it's not because the doctor's some mean overlord who just wants to control your life. It's because he knows what'll make you healthy. Yeah. And if you don't listen to him, you won't get healthy. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that's one of the, the pitfalls that sometimes in a culture like ours, one that is really about doing whatever you want, there's a, maybe a temptation to fall into. But yeah, I think if you get that relationship right between law and grace, you'll be great. Yeah. And unlike a real world doctor, God the doctor has unlimited chances. Like you For never sure. are going to... Like there are real world consequences when you don't listen to your doctors here. And there are too, when you don't listen to God, obviously we've all experienced the consequences of sin in our lives, but God never stops allowing you to show back up and confess and repent That's right. and heal Doctor's again. Doctor's never closed. No. Wow. Thanks. That's really helpful cool. um, imagery. Thanks for that, CJ. Any other final words or things you want to... So I don't think so. Let's go out and try and be a people of promise. Love that. Well, thanks guys for listening. If you have any questions, you know where to find us. CJ is usually in the basement of the Lewis house and I'm around. So come find us. 